first week of Advent was all about hope. Think about hope when you hear Lamentations 3. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of God never ceases. God's mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will have hope in the Lord. We lit a candle, we meditated on the words, we read scriptures, we prayed, and now we wait. For the second week of Advent, we focus on peace. In John 14 from verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. We lit our candle. Now we will read and think about and talk this, talk about this gift. Someone once told this modern parable of the lumberjack entering a forest daily to cut down trees for his woodwork. Day of the day, he would get up at the crack of dawn to start as early as possible on as much work that needs to be done. He worked hard from dawn till dusk. One day, a passerby saw him working there and saw him working his fingers to the bone. Seeing that the sweat was dripping off his face, he stood closer to admire this man's devotion. When he took a step closer, looking at the process, he saw that the saw's teeth were very blunt and that there were not much efficiency in the work that he's doing. There were, there were a lot of passion, energy, focus, but the progress he made wasn't all that much. And then he asked, hello, good day, sir, excuse me for bothering you, but I'm seeing you are working so dedicated. I also see that your saw is really blunt. Why don't you stop and sharpen the saw? Exhaling, he replied, annoyed at the interruption, I have all these trees to cut down today. There is no time to stop and sharpen the saw. Excuse me, but I have to keep on working. The lumberjack saw this, saw the saw in his hand, went back to work with more zeal and focus to cut into the tree with these long strokes. The passerby looked at the man in astonishment as he struggled on. He walked away and began to wonder if he doesn't act the same sometimes. There are all these things in his life that are blunt, but he never takes the time to stop and sharpen. When we read Mark together today, when we talk about it, I want you to think of this story. The story in Mark tells a story of someone who's the kind of person who is going around asking people all sorts of questions about the way they live their lives, challenging them in the way they do life, the way they see life, the way they would want their future to look. And with the things he does and the questions he asks, he makes it really difficult for them because no one wants to be challenged. No one wants to hear, maybe you should alter your ways. Maybe you should do this a little different. Maybe you should walk and think and talk a little different. But that's how Mark starts his gospel. 
Interestingly enough, he doesn't start his gospel by telling a nativity story. He starts by talking about John the Baptist. Mark 1, verse 1 to 8. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I am, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So say the word of God. This passage starts with the good news. It's based on the good news that was promised years and years ago. It started with the prophets talking about someone who would come, someone who would bring the good news to all. And then just before it happens... Although the people were waiting for it for ages and ages, John the Baptist appears on the scene, and I hear some, I read someone writes that John getting on the scene was like him throwing water in people's faces, saying, someone is coming to help you make sense of it all. Wake up. Our lives, our fate, our future, we've always been in the presence of God, but now, John says, someone is coming to physically be here with you. Someone is coming to physically bring the presence of the Lord to you in the flesh. I sometimes wonder what people thought of John. He was so different than most people. I wonder what the people thought of this man who brought them the good news they've been waiting for. He looked different. He dressed different. He had a strange, unusual diet. I wonder what people did when they saw him. What they thought of where he lived. And then he starts baptizing people in, in the river. He, the forerunner, the one who is making the way, is so different than all the others. He sounds different, looks different. His message, different but not as different as Jesus would be. The Messiah, the one they've been waiting for, he's coming, but he too will be different. His message will be different too. He may, the way he talks, the way he lives will be different, different than what anyone would expect. Here is someone coming to tell the Jewish people it's time to stop dreaming for the Messiah to come and wake up to God's reality. The reality that the Messiah is not only near, but here. But the way in which the Messiah is going to be will be different. The way he's going to rule is going to be different. 
the type of king he's going to be will be different. The tune of his fanfare will be in a different key. Can you imagine how difficult it must have been for people who heard the story, the prophecy, over and over again? Every year at Passover, people would talk about the God who saved them from slavery. And every year when they reheard and retold the story, they would sit and wonder when this next chapter would come, would happen. And still, when John the Baptist begins to preach, do you think it was well received by everyone? Even more than that, do you think that people were ready for the one who was to come? Will they be ready to hear the message, different as it may be, that he is to bring? Were they ready for it? And are we? Every year at Advent time, we hear the same story. We sing the same song. We live through the same emotions as the year before. But can we honestly say that we're ready for this message? Can we honestly say we are ready for the person who brings this message? We talk about the four gifts each week. Hope last week, peace this week. But when the going gets tough, are we ready to receive this gift and do something with it? When Advent time gets more real and Christmas comes even closer, and we talk about the gifts that we will receive in this time. Are we ready to receive God's hope and God's peace? When in actual fact, we might like something else. When our lists of wants and needs might look so different. When our list of gifts are a little bit more substantial. When we would like Jesus to fit into our schedules and plans and lists and timelines. In those moments we read the words, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. Reading these words has this incredible effect on me. Because in saying all of this, when we talk about peace, I must admit, despite my own personal wish list for Christmas, Peace is something we all need. It's something most of our relationships craves and needs. The good, pure, calming peace that only God can give. The good, pure, calming peace only Jesus is willing to give if we are ready to receive it. If we are ready to subside all the other seemingly precious requests the world can give us. If we can take this gift of good news that Jesus wants to give, that there is hope, that there is peace. I often see in myself and in other people how our inner peace is so disturbed. Yet it is so strange to see how little attention we pay to, to that fact that, that peace might be blunt in our lives. Like that man working so hard in the forest. We work and work and never stop to pay attention to 
the effects of peace or the absence of peace in our life. And yes, this means that if we want the gift, we would really want peace. We might have to do something to get it. There are these things in our lives that drain the life out of us and sometimes unleash these storms in us. In general, people spend little to no energy on things that disturb their inner peace. There are so many factors that disrupt our inner life. There is this part of me that wishes I can sit and talk with each and every one of you this morning to hear what causes the inner turmoil in your heart. There are some of us who face profound challenges, illnesses, loss of a spouse or a child who's far away, physical, emotional pain, bad experiences from the past, major worries about the future. It's sometimes so difficult to find peace in these circumstances. And what we do with it, we can sum up in the four Fs. Fight. We condemn our dissatisfaction and our negative emotions and even fight against those negative emotions. We also start fighting with ourselves, breaking ourselves down with, with inner self-talk that's not good. We fight against the situation. Life becomes this war of frustration. We fight against other people, bitterness, revenge, and jealousy, or whatever we see as the cause. Or we flight. We ignore the inner storms and continue working as if they aren't there. The mechanisms that the woodcutter uses is just to try and ignore his inner turmoil, not spending any time or energy doing anything about it. Sometimes we simply hope it will go away on its own. Or we freeze. <coughs> Some lose their energy in trying to do something. They are crushed by their inner turmoil. The feeling of discouragement makes some people completely passive, where their negative emotions totally overwhelm them. Or we fake it. We fake it till we make it. We try and tell ourselves, I'll get to it later. We will do something about it. We will sort this problem out, but for now... We'll just put on this mask and carry on with life and pretend everything is fine. And so these inner storms and our responses to them can sometimes be so intense that they cause a lot of damage. Damage in our health, damage in our relationships, in our community, in our relationship with God. And it's no wonder that people sometimes only listen to these voices in their heads. They try and silence it with very unhealthy and unsafe measures. But I want to tell you it's time to take care of your soul, to try and get to a place of inner peace. According to several texts in the Bible, inner peace is not the absence of a storm, but a deep inner peace in the midst of a storm. So many of the believers we read about, as well as Jesus, experienced great times of trouble 
and challenges that impacted their emotions and their actions, their relationships, their thoughts. Paul regularly articulates the various inner struggles he has. Jesus had strong inner and outer pressures. But it seems that inner peace has a depth dimension that goes deeper than emotion, deeper than reason, because peace can transcend the mind. The peace that only Jesus can bring. In Mark, we get the story, the beginning of what he writes as the good news. Someone is on his way to help us through life to help us be human in this day and age, someone to give us hope, someone to bring peace. And maybe the fact that someone wants to give you peace might sound far-fetched. I'm sure that's what people thought when John spoke out loud. But that's the good news. That's the wake-up call today. The gift of peace might be different than what you would want at this moment, but I know it's what we need, what this world needs. The peace Jesus can give through his presence. In those moments when we stop with life, sit with him, be with him, trust in him, those moments can change our lives. Let me end with the words of Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And what will you get? What will you receive? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. That's what we get when we sit and be in the presence of God. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, let us find rest in you, in you rather than in this world beauty, honor, and status, power, knowledge. Grant us the grace to rest in you above all earthly riches and art, fame or praise or joy or satisfaction, above all worldly hopes and promises, desires and merits, above all the gifts you can give us, we desire you most of all. God, creator of all things visible and invisible, in you alone our hearts find its deepest rest. Lord, we ask your peace when we have fear for the unknown future, when we have fear of failure, fear of poverty, fear of loss and sadness, when we fear loneliness, when we fear illness and pain, when we fear aging, or death. Help us, O oh Father, by your grace to love and serve you alone. Fill our hearts with joy and courage. 
and to lovingly trust in you through our Lord, Jesus Christ.